Welcome to the HR Chat Show, one of the world's most downloaded and shared podcasts designed for HR pros, talent execs, tech enthusiasts, and business leaders. For hundreds more episodes and what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And joining me on this episode is Philip Grindel, a behavioral threat management and protective intelligence consultant preventing and resolving concerning and threatening behaviors within private and corporate organizations. Hey, Philip, welcome to the show today. Hi, Bill. Thank you so much for inviting me on and having me as a guest. So we connected pretty recently. Uh, I forget if you sent me the connection request or vice versa, but you've got a really interesting profile and you've got a very, very interesting and impressive background. You've done all sorts. So let's start there before we uh, before we get into the nitty gritty of today's conversation. Um, why don't you tell our listeners a bit more about yourself, your career background and what brought you to where you are today? Sure. So I've, I've probably got a, a slightly different background to what many of your listeners may be used to. Um, but for my sins, I spent about 30 years in the Metropolitan Police in London, predominantly as a detective within the specialist operations and specialist crime environment. So working on everything from domestic violence, child abuse, murders, homicide, depending on what you call it, uh, and terrorism. And then the final piece of my career uh, really was what brought me into this sphere, which was that in 2016, the British Labour MP Joe Cox was killed. Just as we were going into the, or whilst we were kind of at the early stages of our discussions and debates around Brexit. And as a result of that, Parliament decided that they wanted a bespoke team set up. And I was the person that was tasked with going into Parliament, setting up that team to look at all the threats and abuse and intimidation of our MPs and their staff and families, put together all the security plans to keep them safe and nice, simple task, stop the next attack, which we were fortunate enough to do. And we we did it by using behavioural threat management that I had been fortunate enough to learn from the person who wrote the very first piece of research on it for the US Secret Service. Um, and interestingly, what I was actually running, but I didn't realise that was what it was called, was a a workplace violence team. And, and there's there's controversy around that term, conscious of that. Um, but effectively, that's what I was doing. I was, I was trying to keep people safe while they're at work. And that's really how I got into this, the, the sort of business I'm in now. In the fast-changing new world of work, organizations that want to succeed must support their teams to develop the right skills for today and for the future. As practical learning experts, Halt EF Corporate Education helps organizations and employees of all levels to develop the critical business skills, attitudes and behaviors they need to be successful. We combine the expertise and agility of a boutique learning partner with the resources of a trusted, global organization. Learn more at HaltEF.com. I 
I have interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people on this show before. Uh, I, I interviewed a prison warden one time, but I think you're my first ex-detective. There we go. Okay, so your company, Diffuse, uh, it is, as you mentioned, it's, it's a behavioral threat management specialist with expertise in preventing and resolving issues with concerning behaviors from problematic, fixated, and obsessive folks. Tell us a bit more. Yeah, so uh, th this became a bit of a, a passion project when I was in Parliament, and we would find ourselves amongst the, the thousands and thousands of abusive and and um uh, and challenging messages and, and communications that came into parliament within that were this subgroup who became fixated and um they can be described as people who are harassing people are, who, are, who are stalking and at the most extreme end people who go on to to commit violent acts or try to commit violent acts the most significant of which is when they try and kill people and and we had all those elements. And so this element around this behavioural, these, these behaviours of concern, because what often happens is, is that we end up trying to stop this very serious thing at the end. But actually, if we're alive to the behaviours of concern, we can stop it further down the or downstream, which enables really a number of things. One is clearly the people that we're looking after are kept safer. They're less uh, anxious and, and put in fear, but also that the individuals that are posing these threats potentially get the help they need. Um, and we don't end up with the catastrophic end result of people being very seriously injured or very seriously scared. Some people killing themselves in the process or, or ending up with uh, long prison sentences. So it, it became um, a real passion for me around looking at fixated people. How do they how do they behave? I wrote a dissertation on it around uh, for my master's degree around it, looking at how do they target politicians. And there are some key indicators and key behaviours that they follow. And, and um, it's a, it becomes irrelevant whether they're, whatever their political motivations or what their, their grievances are, they tend to follow similar patterns. And so, so that's really how or, or one of the centrepieces of, of Diffuse and what we do is dealing with those issues. Thanks for tuning in to the HR Chat Podcast. If you're enjoying this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe and leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. And now, back to the conversation. Okay, thank you. Let, let's talk a little bit about um, the, the circumstances that, that may lead to these issues and lead to these situations. So the, the mission of Diffuse is, and I'm quoting now, uh, to enable the clients we work with to feel safe. That sounds like a pretty good mission to me. So what are some of those situations where, where leaders, and I, I understand that you know, principally you're working with leaders, but also employees may feel unsafe and, and how common is this in the workplace? Well, firstly, I think it's a great deal more common than we perhaps recognize we've just done some research and and uh, along that research we obviously find other research that's been done and certainly in the uk at the present time somewhere in the region of a, just under 70 percent of all issues at work go unreported for a number of different reasons but these these behaviors tend to be at their most extreme caused by some form of grievance and a grievance is formed because somebody has some blame. They've suffered a loss or they or they believe they've suffered a loss. They're angry about something or they've been humiliated. Those are the four main types of 
causes of grievance. And so if we take the workplace as an incident, um, you know, we look at people who might blame somebody because they've been made redundant or sacked, or they might blame somebody because they have been disciplined or because they haven't been given a promotion. And going along with that, of course, you've got the loss. So they, may, they may have lost their job. And that, that loss then causes a loss of their livelihood, potentially a loss of their home, potentially a loss of the relationship they may be in. They may be angry about the way they're being treated. They may feel that what's happened is unfair. And, uh, and the humiliation piece, you know, we, if, we, uh, if, if, if you're my age, you're, you'll be familiar with people who've been at that kind of walk of shame when they get their cardboard box and they're escorted off the premises. Well, by humiliating people in that manner, you, you know, you're at risk of generating and creating someone who has a grievance against you. And what often happens is when that grievance cannot be resolved peacefully, in other words, when they're unable to resolve it by negotiation or by, by litigation or whatever else, they resort to a violence because they make the decision that actually this is the only way to resolve this. Often what happens in our experience and in terms of the clients that we deal with, they're often the, the, the chief executive or the C-suite members because they're seen as vicarheads for for that company. Uh, and we've had instances when the CEO wasn't even the CEO at the time of that incident, but they are still held responsible by that person. And so they start targeting them. And it can be as simple as in the current age, it can be writing um, blogs or, or, or tweets or social media posts, which are verging on defamatory, but are certainly are negative. It can be conducting negative reviews on some of the, uh, the, the, the review sites and doing that in perhaps we've had one or two clients, for instance, where they've done it in a number of different names. So it, the perception is that there's lots of complaints about this company. And one particular client of ours found that when they tried to recruit, they just couldn't recruit anyone because people were going to this particular uh, site, seeing all these bad reviews and thinking, no, we don't want to work there. But actually, it was only one person. They just created lots of different entries. And then they can escalate to there. They can start turning up. They can start threatening. They can start uh, approaching people at home. Uh, and it just goes on and on, really. And so we, we use the term feel safer. And the reason we do that, Bill, is because my background you know, was around safety and security. It's pretty easy, actually, to keep somebody safe because I can put anyone in a gilded cage. But who wants to live like that? You want to go about your normal way of life feeling safe, free from anxiety, free from concern that something's going to happen, free from this fear that this person's going to cause you physical, reputational or, or psychological harm. And so that's why we say we want you to feel safer, because when you don't feel safe, that then impacts your performance. You become paranoid, you become hypervigilant, you become anxious. It changes your decision making. I had politicians when I was working in Parliament who would come to me and say, you know, I've got a Brexit vote tonight. I'm actually thinking about voting the opposite way than I re my conscience is telling me so that I don't get loads of abuse and, and threats. So it changed their decision making. And at, at the most serious case, there obviously then starts impacting on democracy. So it can it can start very small, but it can escalate and become uh, overwhelming and uh, take over people's lives. You also help to identify some of those some of those traits of potential um, uh, folks who you know could be a threat. Is that correct? So, so what we try to do is obviously what often happens is people come to us when there's a crisis. 
So clients very often come to us because this issue has already begun, is already escalated. There is a problem. And we need some help with it. But actually, if you if we if we go into those working environments and we share the knowledge we have and we share uh, the behaviours of concern that people should be reporting, um, then we can stop these these incidents escalating and, and actually even growing from from their kind of early roots. And so we know, as I said, that 70 percent of issues go unreported. And that's quite serious when you think of it from a business perspective, because in the current climate, with we've seen over the last few weeks and months significant business leaders in the UK losing their roles because of various misconduct or inappropriate behaviors we've seen the CBI losing losing face having to have a public voter of confidence in them so these these are big things these make huge news they make reputational uh, uh, impacts on companies they impact the ESG credentials of companies and they're all preventable and what happens is people either don't know what to report, they don't know where to report it. Do I tell security? Do I tell HR? Do I tell health and safety? Do I tell my line manager? There's no kind of single point of contact. Who do I actually tell about this? What do I tell? What am I actually looking for? But then further than that, they, you know, over 90% say they don't tell anyone because they've got no faith in the process. They don't think the, the investigation is going to be independent or particularly professional. They don't think that actually anything properly is going to be done. And also they're concerned about reprisals. Well, what if I'm exposed as the person who, who reported this? Where does that leave me? So all these, these elements here that cause people not to report uh, cause problems. And they cause problems for businesses because it's then expensive. If you, if you ever go to an industrial tribunal or anything like that, it's expensive. You know, you have to get barristers involved. You have to spend weeks and months preparing for it. Whatever you, whether you win or you lose, it's an expensive process where no one really comes out of it shining, I don't think. So we work with companies and organizations to, to share with them what these behaviors are, to help them train their own staff so that they recognize what those behaviors are of concern, but equally put the processes in place so that there are single points of contact and, and, and even the investigative processes either educate people how to do them or we do them for them so that we provide that independent investigative body, um, obviously with some significant investigative experience. And then you can also set up, obviously, anonymous processes so people can report anonymously, mindful of the fact that what we also have to be aware of is that some of those allegations might be malicious because they might be trying to deter the line manager from, from doing his or her job and actually managing people. So. What we try to do is prevent the issue from the outset. But if we can't present, prevent it and if people come to us later in the day, then we help them resolve it. Once in a while, an event series is born that shakes things up. It makes you think differently and it leaves you inspired. That event is Disrupt HR. The format is 14 speakers, five minutes each, and slides rotate every 15 seconds. If you're an HR professional, a CEO, a technologist, or a community leader, and you've got something to say about talent, culture, or technology, Disrupt is the place. It's coming soon to a city near you. Learn more at disrupthr.co. Okay, so you mentioned uh, the, the aspect of malicious allegations just 
Now, let's talk a bit about checks and balances then. Uh, your behavior analysis and profile, profiling you claim en enables enables one to provide uh, with your clients with a very bespoke response to any behavioral communications of concern. Obviously, the context here is you're a detective with 30 plus years experience. T tell us about the science, though, behind the behavioral analysis and the profiling and, and how much remains subjective and what checks are in place to ensure that you do identify the correct perpetrators. Well, first and foremost, despite having 30 years as a detective, I don't do the profiling. That is done by uh, my business partner, who is a, a very esteemed forensic psychologist. She's an FBI trained profiler. She used to be when we had when we had such a thing, the uh, a, a UK police chief's accredited profiler. So it, it is a scientific process in that she's had decades of expertise studying individuals and their behaviours um, and then coming up with the profiles based on all that. It, it isn't me that does it. It isn't some amateur psychologist. It's an extremely professional process. And it isn't what you might see on television where we're telling you that they've got blue eyes and brown hair and they're five foot three. Um, it, it, it's about personality traits and how people respond, how people behave. Um, it, it's very different from what you see on, on, on the television or on films and all that sort of stuff. But first and foremost, what we do, and you're absolutely right, we need to make sure we are talking about the right person. And we get that quite a bit. We have, we've got two or three investigations going on this week, fresh ones this week, where a person has said, I have this issue. I think I know who it is, but can you confirm it? And so we have our own investigators who are digital investigators, uh, many of whom have worked previously for the British intelligence or counterterrorism policing. So they are top of their game and they will go and investigate uh, all the information we have, be it emails, be it social media profiles and posts to identify who is behind that profile or that post. And very often we can do that. We, we've been hugely successful around the world doing that in various different languages and various different uh, countries around being able to identify through the same person having the same profile, through reverse imaging, through uh, IP addresses, the whole, the whole gambit of different techniques in which you can uh, identify who somebody is online. But there are the odd occasion where we can't do that we simply can't identify somebody and therefore we're left with an anonymous person but we can still conduct the profiling on the anonymous person based on the communication and based on the behaviors that we're seeing so what we're trying to do is say this person th these are the risks these are the behaviors this person is likely to exhibit and this is how they are likely to behave when you do x y and z it is not a horoscope it's not us saying this is what's going to happen, end of. It's about likelihood. Uh, and it's gauged around how much information we have and, and how accurate we can be. And quite clearly, if we don't have sufficient evidence, we can't make that assessment. But it is a scientific process. It is very professional. It is used around the world by experts in various uh, different guises. Very often, forensic psychologists who are trained to do that and qualified to do that and have huge experience. Um, it certainly isn't something that I do. Um, my business is around the sort of threat assessment element of it and, and the investigative element of it. Um, but, you know, it, it's about trying to give our clients the very best picture of an individual so that we can ensure that we firstly identify we've got the right person. But secondly, we've got enough, we've got the, the best information. And if we 
if we if we take ourselves back to the um, seven habits of highly effective people, one of my favorite ones there was, you know, seek first to understand. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to really get behind the profile, get behind the person to really understand who they are and how they behave and how what issues they may have. And then we look at how we what sort of strategy we might have to resolve this issue. Now, then, when you and I had our prep call, I think about a week ago, Philip, I mentioned at the time I said, I'm going to pull you up, Philip, on this term workplace violence, because my understanding of of how you use it it, is, is, is quite broad. Um, what would you say to folks who'd argue that it's it's unfair to put all offenders or suspected offenders, if you if, if you want to use that term, uh, in a bucket labelled violent? I mean, you've used other terms in this interview today, such as inappropriate behaviours. Yeah. In my mind, inappropriate behaviour is not necessarily the same as being violent or, or showing signs of being violent. So interestingly, I put a post on LinkedIn about this. I think it might have been yesterday or the day before. And I've recently been in the US presenting and talking about this very specific subject because workplace violence is predominantly an American term, which won't surprise everybody, or maybe even um, some of your listeners in North North America and Canada will be familiar with it. But it isn't a phrase or, or, or a term we use universally in Europe and the UK, despite the fact that many big organizations will have a workplace violence policy, it isn't a term that people use. And here's one of the dilemmas is, is, well, what do we call it? And that's actually what my post was about the other day around, you know, if we're not going to use the term workplace violence, what collective term do we use for all these different behaviors, some of which start off as, as we've said, um, perhaps inappropriate behaviors, but Others escalate and they become violent, be they sexually violent or physically violent. But you're absolutely right. The the term isn't a term I'm a huge fan of. Um, Hence the reason I put the post out there to say, well, what other terms should we be using? And and it's it's interesting that when we look at um, some of the US brands, for instance, that are in the UK, if they're in the US, they'd have an entire threat assessment team working in that organization, tackling workplace violence. But that same organization based in London won't have any such team because they either don't recognize that issue in the UK and they certainly don't recognize the problem and the requirement to have threat assess proper threat assessment teams that are trained in threat assessment. And very often what happens is um, it falls between the cracks. It kind of goes to the, the security team and the HR team who don't necessarily have the skill set or the training to look at the behavioral threat management area of it and all the various implications. So I don't have an answer for you, Bill, in terms of what do we call it, because I think that's still up in the air. And I think that's one of the challenges, because until we probably come up with a real term, we're all talking about different things. And certainly if you look at, you know, the the newspapers of any given week in the UK, there'll be these days, there's numerous cases. There's one, you know, the two or three this last week around incidents where individuals have been sexually harassing or been inappropriate behavior or they've been threatening or they've been bullying or they've been violent now they all come under the gambit of the definition that is used within the kind of behavioral threat environment of workplace violence but you're absolutely right somebody who's accused of perhaps inappropriate comments or inappropriate harassment in the workplace would contest that they've not been violent um, and I would argue that they're probably right. 
but that's the term that is used and it and it is perhaps a clunky term but i but i'd be fascinated you know if, if your listeners have got views on what else should be the collective term then then i'd be more than interested to have um that them communicate them with me because i want there to be a better term than that as well okay maybe we can start with harassment and then it builds up from there but uh that's a discussion for another time we're almost out of time here i want to make sure that we tick off those four categories that make up workplace violence just using that term for the time being uh, but we've only got a few minutes left so in 90 seconds or less philip i'm going to challenge you what are those four categories so you just make sure you run through those that we've got a clear definition of each so the first one's criminal intent so very simply criminals robbers shoplifters trespassers people committing criminal damage they all fall within workplace violence secondly we have the customer client this is when a person has a relationship with a business, such as a, a customer, client, patient, etc. Often this will start out as a complaint about consumer uh, customer service or product failure. And often it's put into customer services, but it can escalate and become threatening and violent. Very much more common among frontline workers uh, where they get attacked or they get assaulted or they get threatened uh, at work. The third category is worker on worker. So this is where an employee or a past employee uh, attacks, bullies, harasses, threatens other employees or past employees in the workplace. And these are the ones that very often target their line manager, the HR professionals, or the C-suite. And then finally, we have personal relationships and familiar violence. And this is either where people are in a relationship together within the workplace, or their external relationships uh, uh, move into a work issue, such as someone who's going through a divorce, someone who's, go, who's, who's a, a, a victim of domestic violence or a child custody issue. And they, it ends up at work because the one place they know they're going to be at any specific time is at work. And then the problem comes to work. And we've seen some pretty significant issues around this uh, in the UK um, and, and at least one I can think of that ends up in a, in a murder. So um, they can be very minor or they can be the most serious offence. But those are the four categories. Thanks, Philip. You did that in under 90 seconds. Good work. And just finally for today, how can folks connect with you, Philip? So maybe that's... Yeah, sure. Well, I'm on LinkedIn. I think I'm the only Philip Brundell on LinkedIn. So you're more than welcome to connect with me on there. Uh, Our website is diffuseglobal.com, D-E-F-U-S-E global.com. And and you can contact me there. Uh, We have a podcast of our own called The Online Bodyguard. Uh, and, and newsletters, et cetera, that, that you can sign up to. But we'd love to hear from anybody who uh, has any interest in this subject or has any concerns around anyone at work. And there will, of course, listeners, as always, be links in the show notes. So that just leaves me to say for today, Philip, I've enjoyed getting to know you over these last couple of weeks. I, I hope we can uh, get you in front of more audiences in the near future. But for now, thank you very much for being my guest. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thanks for listening to the HR Chat Show. If you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe and listen to some of the hundreds of episodes published by HR Gazette. And remember, for what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com.